Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Today we begin a several week focus on the critical challenges in the healthcare industry and conversation about where there is possibility and hope right now and into the future from different perspectives within the industry. We chose to have this focus because having access to good healthcare is fundamental to making a better world. We often take it for granted that the system will just work and will be there for us when we need it. We know there were issues before the pandemic in the system, and it is still reeling from the pandemic's impacts. We are hoping to bring attention to this critical field to both the challenges and the possibilities in an effort to spark energy and hope to move leaders into action in whatever way they can to support this critical system. If you're a healthcare executive, maybe it is seeing an issue a new way and providing coaching or development for your team, or you're a consumer and you give an extra amount of gratitude to your provider the next time you visit your doctor. Maybe you start a conversation in your neighborhood or community to do what you can to support this critical system. Whatever is right for you, please do that. We can all make a difference. And most importantly, we wanted to take this opportunity to highlight and thank a few of these people who have worked so hard and continue to work on behalf of all of us to make a better world. We hope you enjoy this special series. Hi, Trisha. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine, Crystal. How are you? I'm doing great. Ah, it's a great day, huh? It is a great we day. We are going to have fun today. Yeah, we've got a special guest with us today, and I'm really excited about that. Yes. And his name is Dane Fukumoto. And Dane, I actually knew Dane 20 years ago. Way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Way wow. back in the day. So welcome, Dane. Wow. When you guys were kids, <laughs> right? You. When we were kids, <laughs> yeah. We were just kids back then. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. And we're excited to be talking to you about healthcare. So mm-hmm. we know that this is an area that has a lot of challenges and it for does, so yeah. many reasons, and we're, we'll get into that, but also so many possibilities and so many opportunities. And so let me tell our listeners a little about you first. Dane has worked more than 20 years in healthcare, serving as a teacher, coach, and leader for a diverse community of staff and patients. During this time, he enjoyed two careers, first in communications and public relations, and a current career in educational leadership. Today, Dane serves as the Education Program Director at Virginia Mason Franciscan Health, a leading healthcare company in Washington State. A common theme that spans both careers is a focus on developing strategies for healthcare process improvement and increasing leadership capability for lean success through training, coaching, and other avenues. His day-to-day work involves leading the organization's Virginia Mason Production System, the VMPS Leadership Education Strategy, by developing the program's faculty, aligning programs to organizational outcomes, and building leadership 
learning pathways that span a broad range of leadership topics. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot, Dane. You've got a big job. Yeah, big job. Yeah. I love it, I love it though. <laughs> His approach to leadership development stems from a transformational learning philosophy, developing people to think critically about how they can best serve their community through action and empowering individuals. And what I love about that statement, I thought, gosh, mm -hmm. I want to capture that and dive deep because mm -hmm. this is what the podcast is all about. It's developing community mm -hmm. through action and empowering individuals. I mean, that's, that is what's going to make a better world. So I, I love agree. that. And we'll talk about that for sure. Yeah. Um, this value of connection that I have. Yeah. yeah. Dane holds a doctorate degree in leadership and adult education. He also serves as an Alpha Sigma Nu National Honor Society lifetime member mm. for academic and service-based contributions. Wow. So I'm just so thrilled to have you here. It's been thrilling to reconnect with you and to Likewise. see all the growth that you have made in these last 20 years. It's yeah. just amazing. So so welcome and and let's dive in. So Dane, we start with this question for everyone. You can answer any way you want, but tell us your story. Well, thank you. It's been it's a real pleasure and honor to be on your podcast today. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I like to start where I was born and raised on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. Mm. Um, and that, you know, like a lot of locals, our values come from this deep connection like we were talking about to our community, yeah. um, almost like an extended family. And we call the word um, in the Hawaiian language for family is ohana, our ohana, right? Yeah. And it's not uncommon for people, you know, to call our elderly, our elder people, auntie, uncle, or grandma, even though they're not a relation. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that part of my upbringing. And, you know, going back to that upbringing, it really wasn't an accident that I landed in healthcare. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you work in healthcare, and I think about all my colleagues, it's apparent that people choose this industry for personal reasons and mm -hmm. for that connection to others. And it's real part of the culture and part of, you know, our values. And so many of my colleagues, you know, chose their career because of their own healthcare needs, for example. And I think about our leaders, uh, many of who began their career as a nurse. And in my mm -hmm. opinion, you know, being a nurse is probably one of the most challenging yeah. And we, we, you know, we learned this during the pandemic when those yeah. challenging and selfless professions that one can have, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you see that in our culture, you see the compassion that people have, the empathy. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm still here, right? 20 years later. Um, you know, with your introduction, Crystal, I've had a lot of, um, I've been fortunate to have a lot of latitude in choosing my career path. And, you know, I thought about how I started in communications and I kind of grew from there. Yeah. And um, I always knew I wanted to pursue education. I wanted to pursue leadership development. So I kind of did some volunteer work with different committees in the organization to learn more about lean, learn more about process improvement, yeah. and eventually joining the team and getting to teach this stuff to people. So, you know, day to day, I spend a lot of time in front of the classroom, which is my favorite job. And, you know, even partnering with patients, we'll talk about that in a little bit about how we can sort of work with them to improve their healthcare experience. Mm -hmm. So this kind of, you know, this work, um, well, it's a lot of work. It's busy. It keeps me grounded, yeah. you know, during this time of stress and, um, and, you know, makes me feel connected to people. So, so that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, such important work that you do, Dane. I, I love that you brought that forward. Um, and who you do it for, you know, this, mm -hmm. the healthcare industry 
is so critical to every single person. It touches everyone. Absolutely. So so yeah, the the work that you do around lean, but leadership development, yeah, just really. You know, all of us are consumers of healthcare too, right? So we're all patients in some ways. So we all experience um, the outcomes of what what we can provide as an organization. So. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, you know, you are your customers. So, absolutely. You know, I love a- that. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. You know, if you yes. look around at the the people who come through the door, you yeah. are the people who come through the door. And that's that's all the more reason to serve people the way you want to be served. But I, I see that in healthcare. And I you said that's something true. that just made me think about, you know, they start as nurses and they become leaders. And it's been trying. Yeah. It has been and so trying. That that. That compassion, that empathy yeah. is still with them yes, as an executive yeah. and you see it. And, you know, some other industries, you don't see that anymore. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I just love that about healthcare and mm. about working in healthcare. So, well, that goes right into the next question then yeah. <laughs> you've spent the bulk of your career in healthcare industry. So how's mm-hmm. the industry different now than it was when you started? Good question. You know, there's no doubt that it's changed so much in 20 years. And I think about three areas that have witnessed the most change. It, you know, technology is one of them, mm. um, equity. Mm. Yeah. And then finally I'll wrap up with quality and how that's changed mm-hmm. over the past 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, with, with technology, I started back, um, I actually was an intern at Virginia Mason in 1998, a long time ago. Mm. Um, but you know, back in 1999, actually, um, we saw kind of, or 1998, 1999, we saw the integration of, um, technology, right. Electronic medical records mm-hmm. were beginning to be integrated throughout the systems. And then we had clinical data registries where we collect clinical information so we can learn from that and create evidence-based practices. So, you know, the healthcare industry today is rich with information and data. And, you know, in many ways, this has a positive effect that we have more confidence in the care that we receive from our providers. And we know we have access to that data, right? So that's one of the the key areas that it changed um, since I began in healthcare. in, in terms of equity, I think, you know, we're all familiar with this idea of healthcare reform, right, that happened yes. within the past 20 years. Um, and healthcare reform promised to promote equity in healthcare by expanding coverage to individuals. Um, we, as a nation, adopted national quality measures, right? We'll talk about quality in a second. We also have improved disparity monitoring throughout systems so that we're able to understand, you know, what are the issues involved? And then primary care, right? We've focused on primary care as really the door into healthcare, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of times before reform, that wasn't necessarily the case. So those are some of the positive impacts. I I do have to say we we have a lot of work to do still when it comes to equity. I know we're going to have a conversation about equity in a bit, but, you know, there are still a lot of communities out there that are underserved. And we know this like in rural communities and in our urban communities, we also have, um, work to remove barriers to access to care, right? Race, gender, um, socioeconomics, and these lead to outcomes, right? So we we have work to do, but but that's one of the things I saw gradually change over the past 20 years mm-hmm. because of reform. I wanna kind of end on quality because yeah. this relates to our conversation today around lean and why we adopted quality measures. Um, back in 1999, and people in the healthcare industry will know this, there was a real seminal report on patient safety published. It was called To Air is Human. Yep. Um, I see Trisha nodding her head, so you're familiar <laughs> with that, right? Um, and by the Institute of Medicine. And today it's considered to be really the start of the modern patient safety era. 
So just reading from one of the statistics in this report, um, they said that 98,000 deaths were attributed to preventable medical error. So Mm -hmm. sit with that for a bit. Think of how much error we were creating that was prevented Mm -hmm. and really attributed to safety. So it it woke us all up to the crisis that we were faced with in this country. And at Virginia Mason, we were not immune to this. We were not doing so well in that regard. And on top of that, our finances weren't doing so well. So the challenges that you were mentioning, Crystal, around healthcare were pervasive back then and even more so. So Mm -hmm. we needed to do something different. And our executive team decided that you know, let's do something really radical and take this manufacturing process called the Toyota Projection System and apply it to healthcare, which nobody in the world was doing at that time mm. because they saw gains in terms of their safety and quality. So radical because, you know, we heard a lot of people say people are not cars, right? They're humans. Yeah. How can you do this? How can you think about waste and all the concepts of waste and apply that to healthcare? Because, you know, it's people... Um, have are attuned to different kinds of care needs. They have different, um, you, can, you can't just quantify the same way that mm-hmm. we do in traditional lean processes. Um, but you know, at its foundation, the production system at, is about um, creating value for customers and that's what waste is. So it really did apply and it's about respect. So, you know, over the years, these gains in quality and safety um, have, you know, made really uh, visible efforts. We have a patient safety alert system that we didn't have 20 years ago. Um, And I think, you know, going back to staff and about engaging staff and their potential, it's about reducing the burden of work. When we're able to take away wasteful processes, things that you don't feel good about, Mm -hmm. things that you're just kind of redundant, uh, doing redundantly every day, you're able to free up time to work on stuff that actually creates value, right? So that's the core of it. And um, looking back, I mean, those are really, things that we've done locally, but also you can see a little bit of that seeping into our healthcare industry in general, right? Yeah. I, I just think it's so important, the fact that, and we don't think about it, I think sometimes that these things that are good for quality, things that are good right. for processes are also good for humans. It is, So absolutely. it's the humans and the process. Mm-hmm. They both benefit mm-hmm. from, from the lean. Yeah. Well, when absolutely. you think about, you know, there are so many processes in healthcare. I mean, everything has, is a process of some type, right? Protocols yes. and all sorts of things, right? So it makes sense. And I know that I went through this process a long time ago and mm-hmm. we, we struggled. We really struggled to figure out how to make it work in healthcare. So I'm really, it's encouraging to hear that, you know, it's made such mm-hmm. great strides over the last yeah. several years. And, you know, it's, it's still work in process. You know, we have a lot... It's 20 years, but um, we had consults from um, our Japanese uh, consultants who come over and who've been working with Toyota since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And and they say, okay, you're just at the beginning, right? 20 years later, because there's oh, a wow. lot more work to do, which is which is awesome because it means that we're still we still have a lot of work to do. And yeah. you know, to your point, Tricia, healthcare is so complicated, right? We have so many processes, and with complication, you have just the potential to create mistakes, right, and create errors. Yes. And, and that's where we saw back in 1999, those 98,000 errors yeah. that were preventable medical deaths, right? So that, that's where we have this opportunity, right? To constantly be improving the work that we do. Yeah. I remember this was years ago. We actually, where I was, well, that was at the Port of Seattle. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Um, we actually mm-hmm. had the opportunity to come and learn from Virginia Mason 
around. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And one of the most impactful takeaways that I took from that, you know, there's lots of great stuff, but was this statistic. And I don't know if it actually came from the study you were talking about, but where even if you're trying really, really hard, you're going to mm-hmm. make six mistakes every day. Even yeah. if you're yeah. really intentional, really paying attention, six mistakes, you can't undo that. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And in healthcare, there's no room for that. There so, isn't. Yeah. yeah. So you have to put the processes in place. People are, yep. it's, they're wonderful people. You know, everybody's trying hard. It's just about being human. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you have to put those processes <clears throat> in place that will help us as humans <laughs> yes. to not make those mistakes. Yeah. It takes I, the judgment away, I think, to instead does. of saying it's your fault, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, let's solve yeah. this with the process. It does. No, let's not yeah. discipline the human. Yeah. You know, I can in recall. fact, that's a really key um, message around um, engaging people in this process is, you know, I always tell people it's, it's not about you. It's about the process that's, right. that's yeah. broken, right? Yeah. Not about you. And that's, you know, People in their early days felt like, oh, it was kind of this microscope on my work, yeah. which it should never be that way, right? But yeah. so, so to change that message a little bit, and you know, to your point, Crystal, I think um, this idea around we have this concept of zero defects, and like zero is the only number to strive for, right? Yeah. And as humans, we make mistakes, like you said, and it's, it's part of the human um, part of being human. What we can do is put processes called mistake proofing in place so that they don't get passed along to the customer, right? Yeah. Which is a defect, right? So yeah. uh, we're not quite there yet, but hey, it's a it's a goal that is yeah. always in front of us, right? So yeah. yeah, love that. It's an awesome vision. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So Virginia Mason is a leader when it comes to process improvement. Why is process improvement so critical to its success? Um, so, you, you know, like I was saying, without this change, without implementing this process improvement strategy, we might be still facing the same crisis as 20 years yeah. ago. Right? And I think that's that's the number one thing. I think also for leaders, our process improvement methodology, we're, we call it our Vision Mason Production System. So I'll just shorten it, VMPS for short. Um, at its core, it's about having people run their business effectively so that they can then improve their business. And that's kind of the the notion that we want to imprint on people as they think about VMPS. And what that means is, you know, people invest their time and invest, protect time to understand the current state, right? What are the business practices that are currently um, not doing so well that can result in improvement, but also, you know, on an appreciative note, like what's going well, right? And how can we um, even make it better? So once they use that information, they can learn to make incremental improvement on that, right? We call that um, concept Kaizen, incremental improvement. And you know, from a culture perspective, this adoption, especially in the early days, was about um, also engaging frontline team members in improvement. So, um, radical concept in organizations, but flattening bureaucratic decision-making processes, right? Making sure <laughs> yeah. that people, um, you know, making sure that decision-making is you know flat, and that we can allow people to experiment with um, what they're doing and learn mm-hmm. from that. So again, that was a concept that we I- implemented early on, and it was critical to our success, right? We really couldn't do VMPS or integrate this process top down. It had to be really from that grassroots mm-hmm. um, experimental level. I think also creating a culture of idea generation and idea ownership yeah. helped us a lot, right? Yeah. Where people 
you know, as a leader, I'm not a suggestion box. As a leader, I will free your time to go and try out an idea, implement it, and then learn from that, right? And share that idea. I think that's the culture that we have. And I really appreciate that as part of our culture. And, and it's gone a long way in terms of making us successful with this program. So, yeah, it's growth mindset, I think. It is growth mindset, yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we've, ta- we've talked to quite a bit about that, I think, on the, the podcast, but mm-hmm. such an important, such an important concept. It is. Um, I can see where it might feel a little scary almost mm-hmm. <laughs> in this industry to say, hey, we're going to try something. We're going to experiment with it. Yeah. Um, but getting rid of that agency that leaders sometimes have, right? Or the control, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Instead of directing and controlling. Yeah. Yeah. It's inspiring and engaging. Yeah. yeah. And there are pockets out there in any organization that still have that, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is when you, you see kind of the results, right? Yeah. That come from pockets, people who, leaders who are um, amenable to this, right? releasing control, yeah. idea generation, idea ownership culture, right. and then people who sort of like rein it in and don't have that growth mindset, they yeah. have that closed mindset. So yeah. 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 The impact is, you know, just so important here. When you think about, you know, those leaders who are employing a growth mindset, they're actually, they really need to. I mean, it's like in yeah. healthcare, it's critical because things change by the nanosecond, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we don't have the luxury anymore of having that fixed um, spot where, no, we do it this way, this way it's always worked, we're going to keep doing mm-hmm. it this way. And then, you know, it, from here to eternity, and it doesn't work because not only does it, it prevent people from wanting to come. I mean, it seriously, yeah. it um, makes it hard to recruit people when yep. when you've got that kind of an environment. So I, it's so true. So amazing. I love that. I love that you guys um, really put an emphasis on that. So, continuing along the saga here, I understand that Virginia Mason's lean um, system is different from lean used in traditional manufacturing process. But how is it different, and why does that matter so much? Sure. So, you know, if I think about the Virginia Mason production system, you know, as a house, we call it our VMPS house because it's a good model of thinking about um, the system. Our foundation is waste, right? We think about waste. The two pillars that hold up our house are um, respect for people and patients and accelerating continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So those are the two pillars. So a lot of process improvement systems like Lean, Six Sigma, um, focus on the latter, right? About continuous improvement, accelerating improvement, and certainly critical, right, to moving the bar. What we learned early on, however, is that without an equal focus on people, especially respecting people through Mm -hmm. empathy, inclusion, it quickly falls flat, right? Process improvement will fall flat. So it's one of the key differences that we've adopted. And we have programs in place, like we call it our patient family partner program, which invites patients and their family members or any of the community to work with us on making improvements and like literally partner with us, Hmm. uh, be on events, Uh, a little bit scary at first, people had the sort of assumption that, oh, people don't want to see where like the kitchen, right? They don't want to see the kitchen. Yeah. and that's going to scare people, but quickly busted out assumption. Patients are like, no, no, this helps me to feel mm-hmm. invested in this organization. It also helps me feel actually safer about the care that I receive, right? Yeah. So every event, um, we call them improvement events. Every event has to have a patient on it. And it's a critical piece of like just, you know, being respectful that this is not just, you know, 
fixing how we produce a product. It's actually about improving the lives of people, right? Yes. So that's why we need to include people. Um, and I think that's part of the reason how it's different, right? I mean, it's different than traditional yeah. manufacturing processes. Um, and, you know, we have, um, we were the first in the world, like I was saying earlier, to bring this manufacturing-based process into healthcare. And it's one of the things that early on, it was critical to include, right? Mm. Yeah. I love that. So bringing it in, but also modifying it to mm -hmm. make it fit a, a system that has people yeah. as its primary business. Well, yeah. there's your dynamic, and, right? And our culture of, of empathy and compassion. Yeah. Right? We, needed yeah. to, we needed to retool um, a traditional sort of lean process to do that. So. Yeah. So as we think about the people aspect of this, and of course, mm -hmm. this is both your employees and your your um, customers, your patients, the families. How do you integrate equity into your processes? I love this question. And I think, you know, embedding equity is a recent journey that we've been on. And I have a lot of examples to share about that. One of them, you know, I think about process improvement it, at its core is collaborative, right? You can't do process improvement in a silo and you can't do it by yourself, mm -hmm. right? You need to really involve people who are impacted by that. So one of the tools we introduced recently is it's called our equity waste wheel. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I wish I had a visual to show on this podcast, but if you think about waste as there's like um, seven ways of manufacturing, right? Which some of them I touched on like movement, um, time defects, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, we also can introduce equity waste into the process, right? For those of us who have power and privilege, we create waste for others, right? And for those mm -hmm. who are feel marginalized, well, that's wasteful, right? In terms of, how we respond or how we engage. So, so this is in front of the work that we do. It's, it has equal parity with the manufacturing waste, right? And in, mm. in all the work that we do. Mm, yeah. um, the other thing that we've been um, doing, so every class of mine has what we call an equity pause where we take, um, regardless of the topic, regardless of the content, we take 10 minutes um, or sometimes 40 mm. to really have a discussion around equity relating to justice, diversity, equity, inclusion. And um, to really honor that space, we don't do anything else but that, right? So yeah. it's a powerful tool. We, we've we been doing that for two years now. Um, and I see evidence of this seeping into our culture, right? We hear conversations around equity more. In meetings, people ask questions about that, right? What are you doing to do this, right? What are you doing to include this person? Um, so I, I am excited to see where it goes, right? I mean, this is... a a new thing for us when I say new about two, three years and um, just more to come. Right. Exciting. So. Oh, what a non-threatening, um, non you know, welcoming way to, yeah. to enculturate people to something that is so critical right now. I mean, it's, so it critical, always has right? been, but people are somehow ready or more ready now to hear the message, I think, but the oh, way yeah. it's, you know, the way it's delivered, I think yeah. that's lovely. Oh my gosh. Not threatening. And, you know, I think people, we haven't had any pushback, right? Yeah. Which sometimes when you introduce this, you might have people who may be resistant, but we haven't had that. And I think it's because we, we don't focus on changing necessarily mindset. We look at behaviors, right? What, what behaviors are we, look, are we yeah. portraying that, you know, may lend itself to the waste of inequity, right? So that's kind of how our, our position. So it's nice. Well, I just think that it's such a powerful statement. Yeah. If you come, if that's your sort of central message, inequity. Yeah. 
is waste. Mm -hmm. It generates it waste. And where do you go from there? You know, like, yeah, you can't argue you that. Can't. No. And so it's, pretty it's like, here's what we believe. This is, this mm -hmm. is central. Everything else has to stem from this. Yeah. That means no, let's not talk about, it. let's, let's get to the business of making this better. So yeah. I love that. It's, I just think that's, that's key. That's, that's sort so of key. the secret you, sauce. <laughs> really? You know, I think, and you know, in the past couple of years, you know, since we've had this awakening of, of justice right around the country, yeah. um, people are looking for ways to learn more about it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why people are open to hearing about it, um, to learning about it and they're doing their own work, right. To learn about it. So, I'm inspired by that. I know we're going to talk yeah. about hope, but and that's what inspires yeah. me. Right? Yeah. So it's what it's just a it's an amazing model. I'd really love to you know dig into that more at I'll some share. point because yeah, share. it's yeah. it's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we think about sustainability, and we've been talking about this, um, I was surprised to learn that the healthcare industry is key contributor to emissions and economic waste in the U.S. and around the globe. Waste is a key concept in lean. So can you share how the lean philosophy and process contributes to sustainability? Sure. So you're right that healthcare is a key contributor to carbon emissions and waste. And I was just looking this up. I'll share a few statistics, if you don't mind, what yes, I learned please. about the healthcare industry. So according to the nonprofit called Healthcare Without Harm, um, so if healthcare were a country, it would be the fifth largest emitter of greenhouse gases on the planet. Wow. Let that sit with you for a little bit. Right? Yeah. That's huge. Mm. And that means a carbon footprint, the same as emissions of 514 coal-fired power plants, um, which is equivalent to 4.4% of global net emissions. Mm. So a lot of waste, right? Just yes. in terms of our footprint. And, you know, more than half of that was a result of our healthcare energy use. So mm. we use electricity, we use gas, we use steam, um, air conditioning is a big one in the right. hospitals, and then just operational emissions, right? So think about all of the waste that we produce in healthcare. And, you know, in, in, in terms of sustainability, going back to the waste, I think of time, mm. I think of inventory, healthcare has a lot of inventory. Yeah. Um, and I think of the motion and transportation, right? So motion is us moving around at our, in our day to day work, and then just transporting stuff around, right? Yeah. We have um, a huge amount of opportunity there. Um, from the very beginning, our organization was laser focused on this concept called just-in-time production, yeah. which is critical to reducing a lot of the contributors to waste that I just mentioned, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the goal of every improvement is to do just-in-time production. So we're not wasting inventory. We're not creating unnecessary motion transportation for people, for our customers. Um, and then time, frankly, time is the biggest one, right? It may not relate to sustainability, but in healthcare, um, Time, when you waste a person who's sick or a person who doesn't yeah. have much time left, that's like the hugest waste you can mm -hmm. do, produce for people, right? So yeah. those are things that I think about when I think about sustainability. Um, we've also have a sustainability program um, in the organization. We've always had one, but it's kind of, um, there's a lot of resources provided for that. And, you know, you can see based on that program, I don't know much about that program in terms of the details of that, but you can see evidence of it over the past years since we've integrated a lot of the work. You know, you walk through the hospital, you walk through the cafeteria, and it's radically different than it was, mm. you know, even 10 years ago, like in terms of what you see in terms of consumption waste and all that. So mm. interesting. Um, good work going on, but a lot more to come, right? And, and not just us, but everywhere in healthcare. Yeah. I think. 
sounds yeah. like an exciting journey though. You know, I mean, yeah. if you're almost at the beginning of it and you mm -hmm. heard that from someone from Japan, right? <laughs> that you're at the beginning yeah. of this in a way. Beginning so, of it, yeah. Interesting. We have we have work to, you know, there's more of that that more of that alignment, right? How can we use process improvement to to make a link to sustainability and eliminating mm -hmm. carbon emissions and um, thankfully, the leaders who run that program are involved in VMPS and they use mm -hmm. it. So um, hopefully that's going to make sort of inroads in that direction, yeah. I, I think. I think that's one of the things that is really important. I think with the training that you do, you, mm -hmm. you do it across the organization. And so do, yeah. part of that is helping people understand that I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. It's not Dane's responsible for waste and for do, making processes more um, efficient and reducing that waste. But I am responsible. And I think yeah. Virginia Mason does an amazing job of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like putting the putting the accountability in the person. And I think, you know, I going back to sort of wearing my education hat, right? Like how yeah. do we train? And it's more effective to train to behavior change than it is to attitude change, right? So yeah. I think a lot of what we're doing especially with VMPS and we think about sustainability, like what behaviors can I change yeah. in my own day-to-day -day practice that, you know, as an aggregate will make huge improvements, right? So yeah. um, thinking about how I recycle, how I, um, how I control inventory, how I dispose of medical waste. I mean, all those things are behavior-based changes, right? Yeah. That we can make. And almost immediately we can make um, improvement. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And equity is the same way, right? That equity it's, is the same way. It's a shared yeah. responsibility. It isn't just it is. the diversity and inclusion team right. that needs to worry about this. It's oh, like, absolutely. what do I need to know so that I can make a difference and I can change my behaviors just like you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. I think that would be very engaging though for the workforce as well. I mean, knowing that they get to take some ownership in this. And that mm -hmm. matters to people. You know, you come, you, you choose to come to work, right? And you choose to come yeah. to work to do your you best do. work. And if you don't get to own any of that, mm. you know, and this gives them a little bit more of ability to, you know, take that accountability. You know, it's... Yeah. I, I don't know where, I, this is kind of a sidebar, you can uh, edit this out, but I've heard <laughs> this concept around, it, it relates to equity training, but also to sustainability training mm -hmm. that... Um, I don't know. I kind of attribute this, but I heard it somewhere that there are, you have sharks in the organization who are always going to be resistant to this mm. kind of training and work. Mm -hmm. And then you have dolphins who are totally engaged. Oh. They're going to be the people that you go to yeah. to inspire others, to get other yeah. people on board, right? Yeah. So the focus of myself as a trainer or as a leader is to really harness the potential of those dolphins, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, I'd love to... Um, I, I, I got to find out where I heard that, but I was like, that's so cool. That's a really neat concept. Right? You know, it's, it is a neat concept. And when you yeah. think about it, the dolphins can, you know, they have an impact and that impact reaches out to the sharks. And so eventually, you know, there's hope. Right? Yeah, yeah we, we, we pay attention to the sharks because they're the loudest in the room, right? Of course. right. Should, yeah, but we go, we go to the dolphins, right? They're the ones that are going to bring us along. Mm, so. Love that. Yeah, I do too. It's, yeah, it's where do we put our attention and where do we put our energy? I love that. Yeah, exactly. And this question is really aligned with that. It's like, how do we make the change? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I hear people talking about thinking that, oh, that we're done. You know, we've mm -hmm. identified the areas that need to be changed. And we think, okay, we've we've done that. Now the change is over. Well, we know that's not true. It takes a lot to actually so implement that change yeah. and to get people to actually change those behaviors. And then 
once they change those behavior, behaviors, keep doing that, maintaining mm-hmm. that, and and even improving on it. So what is your sort of secret sauce around that? How do you help people with sustaining the change? I think two things. So we, we alluded to this earlier, but increasing the urgency around change mm-hmm. and making this message redundant, you know, going back to John Cotter around change, yes. right? Um, so when you think about improvement in healthcare, the stakes really couldn't be higher, right? So I was thinking about my old career in communications and, you know, a bad day might be a typo or a mistake that gets printed yeah. that has to be retracted. That's a bad day for me. And for many of our providers, a defect or a bad day is causing harm to a person yeah. or even costing someone's lives, right? So just putting that message in front of people that the, the, the urgency couldn't be higher, right? Yeah. And it really goes a long way in terms of making changes stick, right? People know that they have a role in this and it makes your job just elevated, right? In terms of how you create that change. I think the other thing that creates lasting change is involving patients, right? In improvement. When they're involved, your accountability is changed, right? As you can imagine, you're somehow, you're now accountable to the patient. And they, um, you know, I I see this all the time when they're involved in events, uh, they ask, how's it going? What happened to the changes that I made, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What, you know, what have you implemented, right? How's it working for you? And this increases the likelihood in just in this very practical way, right? Increasing the likelihood. When we are accountable to our patients and our family Mm -hmm. members, it's somehow different than when it's just our team, right? Working on a change. Parties, you know, parties can creep into our day and then somehow mm-hmm. it gets put on the shelf. But when there's a patient involved, um, it's different. And that's why we we make sure that every event specific to process improvement change has a patient or family member involved. Yeah. That so. is that difference then from manufacturing. You know, mm-hmm. when you're is, when you're yeah. in a factory and you're making widgets, you don't yeah. ever see the people who actually receive those widgets, right? No, but when you're yeah. in healthcare, I, I, you're I there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we call it co-design, and it's it's mm. a thing that we're really focused on today. So yeah. So, what advice do you have for leaders as they embark on a lean process or when making some kind of major change? It's a great question. Um, this idea of incremental improvement—we call it kaizen, right? Mm-hmm. So messy is fine at first, yep. um, but as long as you celebrate those small wins, right? That's that's a critical message for leaders. Mm. Um, knowing that the big wins are going to follow, right? But, yeah. you know, messy is fine. I think people want to dive in. They're type A. They want to make everything change for the better all at once. But really, it's incremental improvement and um, seeing the results from that. I think the other thing, and we talked about this earlier, just harness the potential frontline staff, right? They're the closest mm-hmm. to the work. Um, they're where the waste is, right? Yeah. And they actually see what adds value to customers, right? More so than potentially a senior leader would. Um, who may not be as in touch with with patients and staff, right? So harness that potential, get them involved in education, get them involved in the process improvement events, the day-to-day work. Um, and that's really been the key the, mm-hmm. that unlocks all this change that we've seen over the past couple of decades. So. Yeah, I love that. It's encouraging. Yeah. yeah, there's just so much benefit to having employees engaged. It is. Um, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's part know, of that respect piece, I think, too. Respecting it is. people yeah, you're right. for the fact that they do know they're closest to it. They have good brains with great ideas. <laughs> yeah. And isn't it interesting? I mean, we live in the 21st century, and yet there are still businesses that 
don't look at things that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they don't Mm -hmm. look to the people who are closest to the work or maybe closest to the customer, you know, and they're the very people you need to listen to. So that's, I I love that concept. Um, Often, I think that when you look at engagement surveys, often Mm -hmm. you see where there's that gap between perception. Um, The employee doesn't think that the executive understands the business and what's going on. And the executive thinks they're right there with them, you know, and so this is a, it's a wake up call, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you see it when you, when you don't involve people who are at the front lines, um, you see it, right? You see the improvement doesn't, false flat doesn't take shape or they're very vocal. Like, you know, I, I really know what goes on and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I have a voice and I should be included. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a visible, very pervasive thing that we've noticed. So. And I think the other thing is sometimes the sort of resistance is around time. And yes. I, I don't know if, you, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> so sure. they're like, Oh, it takes too much time to yeah. engage people in it. I yeah. know what the answer is already. Or um, like those, the big process improvement events, they take so much time, people have to be mm-hmm. so involved. But my more than 30 years, I won't say how many years of experience <laughs> in OD, you know, and the research would show that if you don't put that time in up front, you're going to put that time in. Yes on the back end. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree with you. There's no yeah. time savings <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, it takes longer to implement because of all the resistance. And, and if you involve them up front, it's better ideas mm-hmm. and more adoption of the yeah. actual change. Yeah. That's a really good insight. And, you know, time, right. And people feel, um, especially these days, we're so busy and yeah. uh, we're doing more with less, you know, all of the, all of the things that we're thinking about now. And you're right. I mean, we, we like to, focus improvement on areas that um, we know are the priority areas for the organization. So that's one way of sort of leveraging um, the time that we can afford to this work. But also you're right, Crystal. I think that people see that if they don't invest, they're they're not going to see any gains and it's going to create more waste. And, and it's kind of this, um, you know, snowball effect, right. In terms of, of our work, not going in the right direction. So, yeah. So thinking about, your work over the years, mm-hmm. what has been your most powerful insight doing this work? Yeah, well, you know, I, I would say the stories that people tell us, mm. they matter and they yeah. inspire us, right? So over the years, I've just heard so many stories about people struggle with the current state of their condition, whether it's patients, um, but also staff, right? Just being stuck in, in their work, not being able to move forward. Um, but also just not being engaged, right? We hear that all the time as OD practitioners, right? We hear that. And um, it's the most powerful driver of change, right? When we're able to hear that, we're able to hear the sort of struggle in people's voices and how we um, as, you know, leaders or as um, people who accelerate process improvement, we can actually make an impact in that regard, right? That's what keeps me kind of waking up every day, looking forward to work, right? Those are the things that inspire me. And I think this applies to a lot of big change, right? We constantly um, challenge ourselves to get better every day and kind of do more work and take on more, but just pausing to hear the stories mm-hmm. and to hear our own stories and how that can impact the work that we do. Um, so m- one of my challenges really thinking about education is getting more of these stories, collecting them, um, your podcast, all these, you know, all these ways that we can collect people's stories and, and just putting them in front of people and having them sort of react and reflect is is such a powerful driver of change. So 
that's a that's a I know there's actually um um a process for storytelling that I just I'm learning mm-hmm. more about it and yeah. we're going to integrate that into the work that we do so oh good um yeah so it's been such a powerful insight yeah and it's such a great segue to our next yeah. questions, right? Yeah. Which are our hope questions. I love the hope questions. Oh, yeah. good. Well, then we're going to start right now. Where okay. do you see signs of hope in the world today? Okay. Well, I don't. I I don't know where I heard this, but I've heard this concept where hope creates action, mm. and the opposite of that, which may be despair, creates yeah. stagnation. Right. Yeah. So oh, yeah. just to focus on that concept, right? Yeah. Um, in the past couple of years, you know, with the pandemic. And with this awakening of social justice around our country, um, it's although it's been sort of like you know a shock to our, to us. But I've tried to focus on the good in people, right? Yeah. And that's where I find hope. Um, I've witnessed, you know, in our organization with our nurses, I've witnessed firsthand how when our nurses didn't lose hope in what was going on in the early days of the pandemic, yeah. um, they really rolled up their sleeves to help people, taking action, right? And you saw that around yeah. the country. We heard stories about that. Yeah. And my gosh, that was such an inspirational mm-hmm. thing to see. And I saw it firsthand. My colleagues were like that. Um, it was a lot, right? We'll yeah. be honest, but it was it was where hope was. You know, I'm also inspired by our younger generation mm-hmm. um, back in 2020 who took action, right? Yeah. To increase our national awareness around barriers to justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, right? All of that action that they took. I've never seen that in my lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, that's where hope resides in action and just creating this space for taking action. Um, I would love to sort of find that in myself, right? And how can Mm -hmm. I do that in different ways and better? So well, that goes to the next one, which is how do you sustain hope for yourself? So yeah, like I was saying, I, I become real tuned to this idea of hope creating action. And, you know, thinking just from a mindset perspective, when I think about, um, hopeful um hope in in my future in the future of the world i i tend to take action i tend to act right so um i feel that hope is also created through connection with people right it's almost infectious if mm-hmm. i'm able to have this demeanor of hope this demeanor even in the midst of crisis or in the midst of like bad times if i'm able to sort of like tell people like okay well what are we going to do next how are we going to take action what are we going to do to create a different future, then it kind of becomes infectious and people feel hopeful. So those are two things that, you know, I'm thinking about in my own practice, in my own work that I can um, frankly do better at Mm -hmm. to begin with, but also just like keep doing, right? Keep doing with people. Sure. Wow. How do you engage or inspire others to be hopeful? Yeah. You know, like I was saying, I think just being able to display this attitude or demeanor of hope Mm -hmm. around people. Um, You know, we're in this time now in our department where it's a little bit, a lot of changes going on, right? And people may feel a little bit um, of doubt around the work that they're doing, or maybe some despair, just to be transparent. So just, you know, as, as people, um, as we come together, we just got together this morning, just thinking about being hopeful and saying, okay, what can we do to sort of lift people up, right? And inspire people, have that demeanor, make it infectious. Yeah. And then what, how can we take action in, in doing that, right? So um, I think that goes a long way in terms of, you know, helping to promote hope within myself, but also in others. So, so can I follow up on that a little bit? Yeah. What are you seeing as a result of that? I mean, I know that you had this meeting this morning, but I'm sure that this is something that you've been doing 
more yeah. and more. And so I'm wondering, you know, what are, what are you noticing as a result of that? I'm noticing that, you know, people are, um, first of all, they told me that they see that in me, right? So they say, okay, I see that, you know, you have a, um, I don't want to say positive disposition on, on, on something that's maybe maladaptive, right? So th- those are like the glass um, half full, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of attitude, which I guess can be related to hope. So they, they've given me that feedback. Also, I think that, um, you know, I see, I see us able to be more resilient, right? When we come, when we're faced with times where it might be sort of challenging, we might have this tendency to create despair. Mm-hmm. Um, people can build resilience in that process, right? So those are things that I think, you know, relating back to change and how resilience is so critical in times of, you know, tough change, right? We need to sort of be promoting this kind of idea of like taking action, creating hope. And it's, you know, I can't think of a different time in my career that change has come at us so quickly and in so many different ways, right? So it's a great time to think about how can we do this better, right? right? How can we promote hope? How can we take action? How can we, you know, make this an infectious thing to help people, you know, um, come along and build resilience. So. I, I think that's just so important, especially in healthcare. You know, you're thinking it, it, it is. is for the entire world. I mean, our world is yeah. going through a massive change, and it's just it's hitting so us by the you know the moment. But yeah, but in and healthcare, healthcare is, healthcare is tough. You know, like yeah, our nurses and providers have been in this pandemic for three years now, and yeah. it's like it's been tough on people, right? We've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of people leave, mm-hmm. people change careers just because it's it's tough and. So what better time to think about how we can be hopeful and promote resilience, right? Well, Um, and you think about healthcare. I mean, before the pandemic, it was bad enough. I mean, and I don't mean to say bad enough, but it was was challenging enough for healthcare because, you know, when you're dealing with sickness and injury and death Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and despair from people who are coming through the door, it's, it's... overwhelming. So add to that a pandemic. I'm sure that was just, I, I was out of healthcare by then. And mm-hmm. um, I can't even imagine what it must have been like going into the office every day, yeah. knowing that people were putting on their best face, right? Just to get yeah, through. Yeah, it was for a lot of people, I think, um, myself included, it was like, we, we, we don't know, this is like a brand new thing, right? So yeah. how do we deal with this, right? Even though we had things in place um, to potentially mitigate um, an epidemic or a pandemic, like mm-hmm. it was a brand new thing, right? I mean, it was coming at us fast too. So, you know, the key word of the past three years is to pivot, right? So to pivot and think of things differently and education, how do we take all of our programs and go virtual like within a yeah. week, right? That was one right. of the things I did, right? So yeah. just the challenges. And I would say, you know, on a positive side, we've learned so much from that, right? Sure. And, um, my gosh, we're so much better coming out of it, so. It's no longer theory, it's now practice, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So our last question is looking forward, what are you really excited about? What's next for you? Sure. Um, So, you know, Virginia Mason Franciscan Health is a new organization. We merged with with several organizations in the Puget Sound region, Washington State, and we're also part of Common Spirit, which is a large national health organization. So there's a lot of potential, I think, for my work to spread this mm. um, to a huge new leadership group, right? So that that creates a lot of potential. 
Um, so that's been going to be my focus for the next couple mm. years, at least just really being really busy with that and real different, right. On how we deliver help, how we deliver, um, VMPS and mm. our production system, education system. Um, and we're learning a lot from that. So that's kind of what I'm excited about. One of the things just outside of work is, um, and I want to do a better job at this is just becoming more involved in service oriented volunteer work. Mm. Don't know what that looks like yet, but um, mm-hmm. if anybody has ideas, I'm well <laughs> open to that. I'm I'm able to do it, willing to do it. But and part of that is just you know, for me personally, carving out enough time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we all get busy, but that's a really important thing that you know, if we have the skills, if we have the ability, um, we should be contributing to that. So um, I don't know what that looks like yet, but stay tuned. It'll be fun to to learn more. So mm. uh, yeah. Sounds like me busy you, for the next couple of years, at least, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you are on the trajectory to make a better world. You're That's doing what I it. Say. So I'd <laughs> like to do that. Yeah. I was thinking. I'm, at, I'm kind of day. mid-career right now. I have about 20 more years to work. So um, I hope that there's a lot more that I can do and contribute to. So Only 20 more years to work, huh? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, that's the plan anyway. Yeah. What fun. This has been yeah. fun, Dane. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank- I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot too. So <laughs> great. Well, um, best of luck. Um, thank you. As you move forward, you're so important and, and you make such a valuable contribution to such a critical industry. Thank you so much. And thanks for being interested in what we have to say about healthcare and um, excited to to, um, learn more about your podcast or hear more from your podcast. I think you guys are doing great work. um, Thank you. And just spreading the word, right? So I love that. Yeah. Thank you. And I think as we, you know, as we hear more about your model being rolled out to a a broader audience, I would be interested in at some point bringing you back and seeing how it's going and and what what you're, you know, what you're experiencing at some point. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. We're we're in the middle of like a lot of um, uh, programmatic changes too. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. a good time that we're building stuff, you know, in in education, we're building stuff, we're also running stuff, but mostly on the building stuff piece, right? So um, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of exciting work um, that we can report on, like, as we, um, you know, we try this out and see how it goes. So yeah, wonderful. I, I would say kind of along that, that line, I feel like Virginia Mason also has been an incredible partner to a lot of other organizations yes. um, in helping them to um, understand and be inspired by and implement yeah. their own lean improvement program. So we are appreciative of that as well. I know a lot of organizations have mm-hmm. learned from you. So thank yeah, you for being had that a leader. Lot of, we, have a, um, we have a team that actually um, does that and, and goes out and helps people set up their process improvement um, strategy and with education, with leadership support, et cetera. So that's been going well. It's been around since um, probably the early 2000s where Mm -hmm. we've been sort of um, um, helping organizations um, like the Port of Seattle, like you said, when you came to visit us, uh, you know, learn about VMPS and and integrating this. And, and so that's, that's making a better world too. So thank you for that. Mm. All right, Dane, thank you so much. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks so much. Take care. That was so fun. I really enjoyed that conversation with Dane. It was really fun and so thought provoking. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And just, it's really fun to reconnect with quality people like Dane, Mm -hmm. who I was thinking, I want to do more of that. There's, he's just grown so much as a, as a person 
and he's I'm just so proud of him also from the contribution he's making. Mm-hmm. It's just it's fantastic. He you know, he appears to me to be a person who's very comfortable in his role and and where he is in the world. And open to even growing that, you know, yeah. as we just heard, but yeah. I so enjoyed listening to his take on lean and sustainability, you know, towards sustainability in healthcare. You know, I, I, as you know, I've, I was in healthcare for several years, um, probably 13. Yeah. And I, one, at one point I was probably only four of those years in the corporate side, but the rest of the time it was right down there in a hospital. And it was amazing to watch programs uh, kind of blossom when people get it. Yeah. But um, it sounds like he's gone so much further with a lot of the things that I got started with um, years ago, but have not had um, any touch point to in a long time. That, I would be so interested in going and hanging (laughs) out with him for a while and watching that in action. It, um, it's so encouraging to me. It's inspiring to think that healthcare is moving in that direction. And I know right now it's so difficult for them. I am, my heart breaks for all of the things that healthcare has gone through our, our nurses and doctors and techs and everybody who works in healthcare. But I'm so happy to hear that, you know, they're coming out on the other side stronger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of hope for me, having people like Dane so engaged and helping his organization, Mm -hmm. it just, that's what gives me hope. Yeah. We can just add him to our Ohana. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so let's keep that conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests like Dean. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website at www.liftingleaderspodcast.com. As always, we have to thank Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support of our show. And last, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. Crystal, thank you so much for bringing Dane to us and for illustrating this wonderful conversation. It was wonderful today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Find ways every single day to lift each other up. Have a wonderful week. Bye.